Reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awz, and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalipta Masih V, Ayyadullah Ta'ala bin Aziz, stated, In the previous sermon, I spoke about incidents in the life of Hazrat Abada bin Samit, but they were not completed at the time. I will now present further incidents and events during his life. It is written in historical accounts, that when the Banu Kenqa decided to wage war against the Muslims on orders of Abdullah bin Abay bin Salul, Hazrat Abada bin Samit, like Abdullah bin Ubay, was a confederate of the Banu Kenqa. However, owing to the impending battle, he distanced himself from the Banu Kenqa and detached himself for the sake of God Almighty and his Prophet It is written that the following verse was then revealed. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu la tattakhidhu al-yahuda wal-nasara awliya ba'duhum awliya ba'd wa man yatawallahum minkum fa innahu minhum inna Allah la yahdi al-qawma al-zalimeen meaning O ye who believe, take not the Jews and the Christians for friends. They are friends one to another. And whoso among you takes them for friends is indeed one of them. Verily, Allah guides not the unjust people. At this point I will reiterate that this verse does not mean that one should not perform virtuous deeds that would benefit the Jews or the Christians nor does it mean that one must sever all ties with them. In fact, it means that one ought to avoid making friends with those Christians and Jews who are engaged in battle with the Muslims. At another instance, God Almighty has explained that He does not forbid one to perform virtuous deeds or deal justly with those people who do not wage war against Muslims or to those who do not exile the Muslims from their homes, irrespective of whether they are disbelievers, Jews or Christians. Just God Almighty states, لا ينهاكم الله عن الذين لم يقاتلوكم في الدين ولم يخرجوكم من دياركم أن تبروهم وتقسطوا إليهم إن الله يحب المقسطين Meaning, Allah forbids you not, respecting those who have not fought against you on account of your religion, 
and who have not driven you forth from your homes, that you be kind to them and equitably towards them. Surely Allah loves those who are equitable. It has been made evident in the first verse that one should not forge relations with Muslims on the basis of any weakness, fear or cowardice. The real objective should be that one ought to have complete trust and reliance in Allah the Almighty alone. Furthermore, if one improves their spiritual condition, then God Almighty would support that person. Unfortunately, these days we see that Muslim governments fall in the laps of foreign powers and are fearful of them. The result of this is that owing to using their aid, one Muslim country is turning against the other, and those people are the ones who are destroying Islam from its roots. Nonetheless, we pray to God Almighty to enable these Muslim governments to see In the incident that is being mentioned, which is the battle against the Banu Qanqa, which resulted in them being besieged after the battle and eventually they were defeated, there are further details about it in Sir Khatam al Nabiyin, which analyzes the incident using various historical sources. It is mentioned that after their defeat, the Banu Kenka were ordered to leave Medina. The details of this incident is as follows. When the Battle of Badr had taken place, and Allah the Exalted, in His grace, granted a convincing victory to the Muslims, despite their being few and without means over a very fierce army of the Quraysh, and the prominent leaders of Makkah were mixed to dust, the Judina went up in flames of jealousy. They began to openly hurl stinging comments at the Muslims and publicly asserted in gatherings that So what if you have defeated the army of the Quraysh? Let Muhammad fight us and we shall demonstrate how wars are fought. This escalated to such an extent that in one gathering, they even uttered such words in the presence of the Holy Prophet As such, there is a narration that after the Battle of Badr, when the Holy Prophet returned to Medina, one day he gathered the Jews and admonished them, and whilst presenting his claim, invited them to Islam. The chieftains among the Jews responded to this peaceful and sympathetic address of the Holy Prophet in the following words. O Muhammad it seems that you have perhaps become arrogant after killing you Quraysh. Those people were inexperienced in the art of war. If you were to fight us, you would come to know the real likes of warriors. The Jews did not rest upon a mere threat. It seems as if they even began to hatch conspiracies to assassinate the Holy Prophet There is a narration that in those days, when a faithful companion by the name of Talha bin Bara about to pass away, he bequeathed that If I die at night, the Holy Prophet should not be notified about my funeral prayer, lest a misfortune befalls the Holy Prophet at the hands of the Jews on my account, i.e. lest the Holy Prophet comes at night to lead the funeral prayer and the Jews see it as an opportunity to attack. Therefore, after the Battle of Badr, the Jews openly began to fuel mischief, and among the Jews of Medina, since the Banu Kanka were the most powerful and bold, it was they who first began to breach the treaty. As such, historians write, Among the Jews of Medina, the Banu Kanka were the first to break the treaty which had been settled between them and the Holy Prophet After Badr, they began to rebel fiercely and openly expressed their rancor and malice and broke their treaty and agreement.
However, despite such events, under the guidance of Master, the Muslims demonstrated patience in every way and did not allow themselves to take the lead in any respect. It is narrated in a hadith that after the treaty which had been settled with the Jews, the Holy Prophet would even take special care to protect their sentiments. On one occasion, an argument broke out between a Muslim and a Jew. The Jew asserted the superiority of Moses above all the other prophets. The companion was angered by this and he dealt somewhat harshly with that person, replying that the Holy Prophet was the most superior of all the messengers. When the Holy Prophet was informed of this, he was displeased and rebuked the companion, saying, It is not your task to go about speaking of the superiority of God's messengers in comparison to one another. Then the Holy Prophet mentioned a partial superiority of Moses and consoled the Jew. However, despite this loving conduct of the Holy Prophet the Jews continued to escape in their mischief. Eventually, it was the Jews who created a cause for war and their heartfelt animosity could not be tamed. What happened was that one day a Muslim lady went to the shop of a Jew in the market in order to purchase some goods. A few evil Jews who were then sitting in the shop began to harass her in the most mischievous manner and even the shopkeeper himself committed the evil deed that while the lady was unaware he attached the lower corner of her skirt to the mantle on her back with a thorn or something of that sort. As a result, when the lady stood up to leave to their rude behavior, the lower part of her body became exposed, at which the Jewish shopkeeper and his accomplices burst out in laughter. Outraged, the Muslim ladies screamed and appealed for It so happened that a Muslim was present nearby. He dashed to the scene and in a mutual altercation, the Jewish shopkeeper was killed. Upon this, the Muslim was showered with swords from all directions and this remarkably indignant Muslim was put to death. When the Muslims were informed of this event, in national indignation, their eyes gorged with blood and rage. On the other hand, the Jews who desired to make this incident an excuse to fight congregated in the form of a crowd and a state of riot broke out. When the Holy Prophet ﷺ was informed of this, he gathered the chieftains of the Banu Kanka and explained that such behavior was not appropriate and that they should refrain from such mischief and fear God. Instead of expressing disappointment or remorse and seeking forgiveness for what had happened, they responded with very refractory answers and boldly repeated their earlier threat that do not become arrogant over your victory at Badr. When you are to fight us, you shall come to know the real likes of warriors. Left with no other choice, the Holy Prophet ﷺ set out towards the fortresses of the Banu Kenka with a force of companions. When the Holy Prophet ﷺ went to see the Jews with his companions, they ought to have shown remorse for the actions and extended a hand of peace. But instead, they were ready to fight. Therefore, war was dead and the forces of Islam and Judaism came forth to battle one another.
According to the custom of that era, a method of warfare was that one party would secure themselves within their fortress and wait. The opposing force would besiege the fortress, and whenever an opportunity presented itself, now and then, attacks would be launched against one another. This would continue until the surrounding army would either lose hope in capture fortress and lift the siege. And this would be considered a victory to the ones besieged. Or, being unable to muster the strength to fend off the onslaught, the besieged force would open the gates of their fortress and hand themselves over to the victors. On this occasion, the Banukenka employed the same tactic and closed themselves within their own fortresses. The Holy Prophet ﷺ besieged them and this siege continued for 15 days. Finally, when all the strength and arrogance of the Banukenka had been shattered, they opened the gates of their fortresses on the condition that though their wealth would belong to the Muslims, their lives and families would be spared. The Holy Prophet accepted this condition, even though, according to the Mosaic law, all of these people were allowed to be put to death. According to the Mosaic law, they were liable to be put to death. And according to the initial agreement, the judgment of the Mosaic law should have been administered to them. However, since this was the first crime committed by this nation, as a first course of action, the merciful and forgiving disposition of the Holy Prophet ﷺ could never be inclined towards an extreme punishment, which should only be imposed as a final remedy. However, on the other hand, allowing such a treacherous and rebellious tribe to remain in Medina was no less than nurturing a snake in the grass, especially when a group of hypocrites from among the Aus and Khazraj were already present within Medina, and from the exterior as well, the opposition of the whole of Arabia had greatly distressed the Muslims. In such circumstances, the only judgment which the Holy Prophet ﷺ could pass was for the Banu Kenka to leave Medina. In comparison to their crime and taking into account the circumstances of that era, this was a very mild punishment. Furthermore, the purpose of this punishment was the security of Medina. The main purpose for this was to ensure the safety of the Muslims of Medina. Nonetheless, for the nomadic tribes of Arabia, it was nothing out of the ordinary to move from one place to another, especially when a tribe did not own any properties in the form of land and orchards, and the Banu Kenka had none of these. The entire tribe was given the opportunity to leave one place and settle somewhere else with great peace and security. As such, Nukenka very peacefully left Medina and settled towards Syria. The Holy Prophet ﷺ assigned the task of overseeing the necessary arrangements, etc., associated with their departure to a companion named Ubadah bin Samit, the companion who is being mentioned, who was from among their confederates. Ubadah bin Samit escorted the Banu Kenka for a few months, and after safely sending them off, he returned. The spoils which attained by the Muslims consisted only of weaponry and instruments of their profession. Aside from this, there was nothing more that the Muslims gained in the spoils. Some details in relation to this incident are also found in Sirat al-Halabiyya.
It is written therein that the Holy Prophet ﷺ commanded to expel and exile these Jews from Medina indefinitely. The Holy Prophet ﷺ entrusted Hazrat Abada bin Samit with the responsibility of exiling them and he gave them respite for three days. Subsequently, after three days, the Jews said farewell to Medina and left. Prior to this, the Jews had requested Hazrat Abada bin Samit to extend the period of respite that they were granted. However, Hazrat Abada rejected this request, saying that not a single minute of respite would be given to them. Following this, Hazrat Abada oversaw their exile and the Banu Kanka settled in the plains of a town in Syria. There are many other ahadith that have been rated by Hazrat Abada bin Samit. One narration, Hazrat Abada says, Owing to the various engagements of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, whenever someone from among the Muhajireen presented themselves before the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he would entrust him to one of us in order to teach him the Holy Quran as well as religious knowledge. He then says, On one occasion, the Holy Prophet ﷺ entrusted an individual to me. He stayed at my home and ate with me and my family and I taught him the Holy Quran. When he was about to return home, he thought that since he lived with me and I taught him the Holy Quran that perhaps I had some rights over him. Hence, he gave me a bow as a present. He was given a bow as a present. He further says, It was of such exceptional quality that I had previously never seen a better and was made of excellent wood and was very soft. Hazrat Abada then says, I presented myself before the Holy Prophet and asked in relation to this, saying, O Messenger of Allah, what is your guidance in relation to this? Such and such person gave me this bow as a present. The Holy Prophet replied, What you are carrying between your shoulders is like a burning coal, meaning that the present he accepted was only given to him because he taught him the Holy Quran, and in this manner it is like a fire which he is carrying between his shoulders. There is another narration related by Hazrat Abada as well, in which he said, I taught the Holy Quran to some individuals from among the Ahl Sufa and I also taught them how to write. Upon this, one of them sent me a bow as a present. In my heart, I thought that this is not money, cash, gold, silver, or any form of currency, and that I will use it to shoot arrows in the cause of Allah. It is merely a bow, and it will be useful to me to shoot arrows if the occasion of jihad ever arises, and will be used in the way of Allah. Nevertheless, he says, I requested the Holy Prophet ﷺ for guidance in relation to this. Upon this, the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, You may accept it if you wish to wear a necklace made out of fire. That is, if he wished to wear a necklace made out of fire and for it to be placed around his neck, then he can accept it. Both of these narrations are similar and are mentioned in different places. Commentators have deduced from these narrations that the bow was given as remuneration for teaching the Holy Quran and this practice was disliked by the Holy Prophet ﷺ. Therefore, this incident contains guidance for those people who teach the Holy Quran and use it as a source of income. Hazrat Rashid bin Hawaish admits that on one occasion 
The Holy Prophet went to inquire about the health of Hazrat Abada bin Samit when he was ill. The Holy Prophet said, Do you know who from among my ummah will be counted amongst the martyrs? At this the companions began to look at one another. The Holy Prophet ﷺ had gone to visit Hazrat Abada bin Samit, who was ill at the time, when he asked, Do you know who from among my ummah will be counted amongst the martyrs? At this, the companions began to look at one another. Hazrat Abada asked for help so that he could sit upright, and using support, he sat up and said, O Messenger of Allah ﷺ, you asked about who from among the Ummah will be counted amongst the martyrs. The ones who will be counted amongst the martyrs are those who only seek virtue as their reward and are subsequently martyred, fighting bravely and displaying steadfastness. To this the Holy Prophet ﷺ replied, If it is left to this alone, then there will be few martyrs among my Ummah. The Holy Prophet ﷺ then said, the one who dies fighting in the cause of God Almighty is a martyr. The one who dies from the plague is a martyr. If there is an epidemic and a believer passes away due to it, then in that case he will be deemed as a martyr. The one who drowns will be deemed as a martyr. The one who passes away due to an abdominal illness is a martyr. The Holy Prophet then further said, a woman who passes away in a state of nifas, her child will take her straight into paradise. I.e. this is when a woman passes away after childbirth due to excessive blood loss. The state of nifas can last for up to 40 days after childbirth and if owing to weakness or any other reason, a woman passes away. The Holy Prophet ﷺ has said that her child will be the reason for her entering paradise. There is a narration in Sahih Bukhari which is similar to the one I have just stated. Hazrat Abu Hurairah narrates that the Holy Prophet said, There are five types of martyrs, the one who dies from the plague, the one who passes away due to an abdominal illness, the one who drowns, the one who passes away by being crushed, and the one who dies fighting in the cause of Allah. The promised Messiah was informed by God Almighty that the plague was sent down as a sign for him and that whosoever believed in him in the true sense would be saved from the effects of it. This is a completely different matter altogether. However, if under normal circumstances there is an epidemic and a believer who has firm faith passes away as a result of it, then they will be deemed as a martyr. Ismail bin Ubaid Ansari narrates that Hazrat Abada once asked Abu Huraira, O oh Abu Huraira, you were not present with us when the Holy Prophet took the Pledge of Allegiance from us on the basis that we would always demonstrate obedience to him in times of increased activity or times of rest and spend in times of hardship or ease that we will enjoin good and forbid evil in a way that would not worry about the reproach of any critic. Then when the Holy Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, we pledged allegiance to support and protect him with our lives, above that of even our wives and children. We pledged allegiance on all of these matters, and in return we were promised the tidings of paradise. Thus, whosoever breaks this pledge that he made with the Holy Prophet ﷺ only causes harm to himself. Whosoever fulfills the pledge he made with the Holy Prophet ﷺ, then God Almighty will fulfill his promise as vouchsafed to the Holy Prophet
On one occasion, Hazrat Muawiyah wrote a letter to Hazrat Usman Ghani saying, Hazrat Abada bin Samit is provoking the people of Syria against me. Therefore, either call back Abdullah bin Samit to you, or I will remove myself between him and Syria, i.e. he will leave Syria. Hazrat Usman wrote back saying, Provide transport for him and ensure that he reaches his home in Medina, Manavura. Hence, Hazrat Muawiyah arranged for him to reach Medina. Hazrat Abada went to visit Hazrat Usman in his home, and aside from one person, there was nobody present. Meaning that the one who met with the companions says that he saw Hazrat Usman seated in the corner of the room. Hazrat Usman then turned to Hazrat Abada and asked, O Abada bin Samit, what is the matter between you and us? Hazrat Abada stood up and began addressing the people, saying, I heard the Holy Prophet say, After me there will be certain leaders who will urge you to perform deeds that are displeasing to you, and they will dislike those deeds that are pleasing to you. Therefore, whoever is disobedient to God Almighty, you should not follow him. Thus, do not transgress the boundaries set by God Almighty. There are certain matters regarding which there can be a difference of opinions between people. And between Hazrat Abada bin Samit and Hazrat Amir Muawiyah, there were differences of opinions regarding certain matters. I mentioned in the previous sermon as well that there was a similar incident during the caliphate of Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu. But since Hazrat Abada bin Samit was among the prominent companions who had heard about matters directly from the Holy Prophet sallallahu therefore he would firmly adhere to them and ensure others acted on them accordingly. During the Caliphate of Hazrat Umar, there was a difference of opinion between Hazrat Amir Muawiyah and Hazrat Abada bin Samit. Hazrat Umar instructed Hazrat Amir Muawiyah that he was not to question Hazrat Abada bin Samit and to let him act on the matters as he deemed correct. Then when Hazrat Abada came to Medina, he was sent back. But in the time of Hazrat Usman, when the issue arose again, Hazrat Usman called Hazrat Abada to Medina due to the conditions at the time. Nonetheless, Hazrat Abada held a status and was able to interpret certain matters because he had heard them directly from the Holy Prophet ﷺ. For this reason, there was a difference of opinion in certain matters and he would voice his opinion. For example, in matters of exchanging goods, bartering or in matters of trade. This is a lengthy subject and there is not enough time to discuss it here. But it was relating to such matters that Hazrat Abada and Hazrat Amir Muawiyah were in disagreement. Thus, Hazrat Abada had his proofs and he would interpret matters accordingly, while at the same time, Hazrat Amir Muawiyah held a different opinion about the same issue. However, it is not for everyone to cause disputes unless the matter is clarified with a clear verse of the Quran or the Hadith, and in this era, the teachings of the Promised Messiah. The fundamental point to remember in all of this is that one should never cross the limits set by God Almighty, always remain within those prescribed limits. Thus, every Ahmadi ought to bear this in mind and also demonstrate obedience. Atah narrates, I met with who was the son of a companion of the Holy Prophet named Hazrat Abada bin Samit and I asked him what his father i.e. Hazrat Abada advised him before he passed away. Walid said, he, i.e. Hazrat Abada said, O my son, fear God Almighty, and know full well that you can never become righteous until you have firm belief in Allah the Almighty, and also until you believe in the positive and negative effects of divine decree. Therefore, if you pray and believe something contrary to this, then you will be thrown into the fire.
Hazrat Anas bin Malik narrates that the Holy Prophet would frequently visit the house of Hazrat Umm Haram bint Malhan, who was the wife of Hazrat Abada bin Samit, and she would give the Holy Prophet food. On one occasion, when the Holy Prophet visited her home, she served him food and then began to groom him, at which the Holy Prophet fell asleep. A short while later, he woke up from his sleep and he was smiling. Hazrat Umm Haram asked, O Messenger of Allah why were you smiling? The Holy Prophet replied, A few people from among my Ummah who had set out to fight in the way of God Almighty were brought before me. They were sailing in the sea in a manner as if they were kings sitting on thrones. Or he stated that they were like kings seated upon their thrones. The narrator of the incident was unsure which word of the Holy Prophet ﷺ had used. Nonetheless, Hazrat Umm Haram said to the Holy Prophet ﷺ, O Messenger of Allah ﷺ, pray to God Almighty that I may be among those people. The Holy Prophet then prayed for Hazrat Umm Haram and then rested his head and fell asleep again. Again he woke up and he was smiling. She asked again as to the reason the Holy Prophet ﷺ was smiling. To which the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, Some people from among my Ummah who had set out to fight in the way of Allah were presented before me. The Holy Prophet then repeated what he mentioned earlier. Umayyah Haran submitted to the Holy Prophet ﷺ, O Messenger of Allah, pray that Allah the Almighty also enables me to be among those group of people. The Holy Prophet stated, You are already included in the company of these people. Subsequently, during the era of Maviyah bin Abi Sufyan, Hazrat Umm Haram was part of a voyage and upon disembarking, she fell from her mount and passed away. The Holy Prophet would visit the house of Hazrat Umm Haram because he had a close familial ties with her. In regards to this, it is stated that Umm Haram was the daughter of Milhan bin Khalid and belonged to the tribe of Banu Najjar. Umm Haram was a sister of Isulaim, who was the mother of Hazrat Anas, and was thus his maternal aunt. Both Umm Haram and Umm Sulaim were maternal aunts of the Holy Prophet related to him either through ablation or foster relation. Imam Nuri relates that all scholars unanimously agree that Umm Haram had a close family relation with the Holy Prophet. Owing to this relation, the Holy Prophet would sometimes visit her house and take rest during the afternoons. However, there are varying opinions in regards to the exact relation. Everyone agrees that she was his close family relative, but there are different views as to exactly how they were related. In any case, they had close familial relations in one way or another. Hazrat Umm Haram accepted Islam at the blessed hand of the Holy Prophet Later, during the Khilafat of Hazrat Usman Zunurain, she left to take part in jihad along with Ahman, Abada bin Samit, who was a very prominent companion from among the Ansar. It is mentioned that she accepted Islam at the hands of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. Later, during the Khilafat of Hazrat Usman Zunurain, she to take part in jihad along with her husband, Abada bin Samit, who was a very prominent companion from among the Ansar whose account is being mentioned. And she was martyred whilst reaching territory occupied by the Byzantines. Thus she attained the status of martyrdom according to the vision of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. In Umdat al-Qari and Shara Ishaat al-Sadi, which are common to Bukhari, it is stated that Hazrat Umm Haram passed away in 27 or 28 Hijri. According to some, she passed away during the rule of Amir Muawiyah. However, the earlier narration is more commonly known and has been quoted by historians. 
which is passed away during a naval battle during the Khilafat of Hazrat Usman. In reference to the era of Muawiyah, it does not refer to the rule of Hazrat Amir Muawiyah. Rather, it refers to that period in history in which Hazrat Amir Muawiyah fought a naval battle against the Byzantine Empire. Hazrat Umar Haran also took part in this with her husband, Ubadah bin Samit, and upon returning from the battle, she passed away during the Khilafat of Hazrat Usman. Junada bin Abu Umayyah narrates that they visited Hazrat Ubadah bin Samit during his illness. They requested him to narrate a hadith which he had heard from the Holy Prophet so that by doing so, God Almighty will grant him blessings. Hazrat Abada bin Mid stated that the Holy Prophet once called them and took their bed. The Holy Prophet took a pledge from them on the conditions that they would show complete obedience in all circumstances, whether it be in a state of happiness, sadness, poverty or affluence or even when the decision goes against their preferences. Moreover, they shall not dispute with the rulers in order to assume power for themselves. With the exception of manifest disbelief in the fundamental law of God, for which you have a clear and conclusive argument from God. This is also if one has the power or means to do so. Sanabi relates, I visited Hazrat Abada bin Samit when he was close to his demise and I began to cry. Hazrat Abada bin Samit told me to stop and inquired for the reason for my crying. He then said, By God, if I were to testify, I would only testify in your favor. If I were granted the permission to intercede, I will certainly intercede for you. And if I have the strength to help you in any way, I would certainly do so. He then said, By God, I have narrated to you all the hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, which contained all that is good for you, except for one hadith, which I shall narrate to you today, at a time when I am close to my demise. I heard the Holy Prophet ﷺ state that whosoever affirms that there is no God except Allah, and Muhammad ﷺ is the messenger of Allah, will be safeguarded from the hell fire. In other words, such a person is a Muslim. May God Almighty continue to elevate the status of the companions who have conveyed to us such knowledge which is not only beneficial to us spiritually but also in our practical lives as well. I shall now mention about some deceased members and will also lead their funeral prayers. The first is Sayyid Sahib from Syria. He passed away on 18th of April. However, the funeral prayer is being offered late since the news of his demise was not received until recently. To Allah we belong and to Him we return. The deceased was among very sincere and pioneer members of the Jamaat in Syria. He completed the first reading of the Holy Quran by the age of five, and right from his childhood, he was extremely proficient and skilled in the rules for the correct pronunciation of the Holy Quran, and also its recitation. He taught many Ahmadis the rules for correct pronunciation of the Holy Quran. Respected Munir Husni Sahib had great trust in him. The deceased acquired an education in law, however he did not like the field of law, and instead pursued a career in teaching. He was considered among the top teachers in the country. He taught in various parts of the country and was promoted as headmaster. The deceased had great passion for Tablig and would preach to everyone he met. A few years ago, when the Arabic desk translated the books of the Promised Messiah into Arabic and republished them, he stated that despite having been Ahmadi for such a long time, only now I have truly understood what the Promised Messiah has stated and I have for the first time understood the true essence of the Jamaat. He further stated that he was acquiring information all over again about the true Islam Ahmadiyyat. Every acquaintances of his mentioned his attributes of exhibiting his morals, dealing with others with kindness, generosity, confidence, 
considerate of others' feelings and sentiments, and to selflessly help others. In fact, every person who knew him mentioned these qualities of his, and had great love for him because of this. He remained occupied in his own work, very cheerful, a benevolent father, and was a devoted husband. He had a very extensive social circle, very regular in his prayers and worship. Whenever he received any money, he would offer his chanda first, and at times he would donate the entire amount towards chanda. He leaves behind three sons and three daughters. His eldest son, Muhammad Sahib, and his youngest son, Jalaluddin Sahib, are Ahmadis. May God Almighty grant him mercy and forgiveness. May he elevate his status and enable his progeny to become the recipient of his prayers. May God Almighty also enable the rest of his progeny to accept the truth. The second funeral is of respected Atayyib al-Ubaydi Sahib from Tunisia, who passed away on 26th of June at the age of 70. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was the only Ahmadi in his area and was extremely sincere and had great love for the Jamaat and Khilafat. He spent most his entire life in the mosque. He was a true devotee of the Holy Quran and spent a lot of time occupied in the remembrance of God Almighty. Upon learning about the Jamaat, he immediately travelled to his headquarters and performed the bed. He had great love for the rites of the Prophet Messiah In order to attend the Friday prayers, he would travel almost five hours on the train to offer his prayers in the headquarters. He was an extremely courageous person and would introduce the Jamaat to whoever he met. He faced a lot of pressure from his family and uncles, but he remained firm in his belief. He open-heartedly contributed towards Jandah right from the moment he performed there, and when he learnt about the Nizami Vasiyat, he immediately became a part of it. He would always urge the youth to spend in the way of the Almighty, and would tell them that it was owing to spending in the way of God Almighty that his wealth was greatly blessed. The deceased also had the opportunity to perform the Hajj. He had great love for the Jamaat and Khilafat. May God Almighty grant him his mercy and forgiveness and enable his progeny and dear ones to become the recipient of his prayers. The third funeral is of respected Amatul Shukur Sahiba, who is the eldest daughter of Hazrat Khalif al-Masih III, Rahimahullah. She passed away on 3rd of September at the age of 79. Surely to Allah we belong, and to Him shall we return. As I mentioned, that she was the daughter of Hazrat Khalif the Masih III, Rahimah, and she was the paternal granddaughter of Hazrat Muslim Anhu, and the maternal granddaughter of Hazrat Nawab Mubarakah Begum Saiba and Hazrat Nawab Muhammad Ali Khan Saib. She was born in April 1940 in Qadian. She acquired her primary education in Qadian and completed her BA from Lahore. She was married twice. Her first marriage was with Shahid Khan Sahib, who was the son of Nawab Abdullah Khan Sahib. She had two sons and three daughters from that marriage. One of her sons, Amir Ahmed Khan, is and is currently serving in Tehrik Jadid. Two of her grandsons are currently studying in Jamia. Her second marriage was with Dr. Mirza Lake Amasaib. However, she did not have any children from that marriage. Although she did not serve in any major office for the Jamaat, however, she generally had the opportunity to serve in various Jamaat departments of Lajanai Maila. Everyone who has written about her has mentioned that she worked with great cooperation and humility. She had great interest in reading and writing and had written a biography on Hazrat Ammajan and another book on Hazrat Mubarakah Begum Sahiba, the title of which is Mubarakah Ki Kahani, Mubarakah Ki Zubani. Her third book, which is a biography on the wife of Hazrat Mirza Sharif Ahmed Sahib, Hazrat Bu Zainab Sahiba, the manuscript of which is complete but has not been published yet due to the current circumstances in Pakistan. These three books, therefore, 
are a great literary contribution for the Lajna. Her maternal granddaughter, Malahat, writes, My grandmother would always tell us that Hazrat Khritamasi would say that one should always smile, for it is an act of charity. Therefore, I saw that even during the period of her final illness, she would always be smiling. She was suffering from a very painful illness and found out very late that it was cancer. However, she blessed with great courage and patience. Hazrat Khalifumsi III would also say that she would endure every difficulty with great patience. May Allah the Almighty grant her this forgiveness and mercy, and may He enable her children and future progeny to also remain attached with Khilafat and the Jamaat with a bond of true loyalty. I would also like to mention that since the Khudam al-Ahmadiyya Ishtama is commencing from today, therefore the Asr prayer will be combined with the Friday prayer.